Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn, and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. And we are live. Welcome to Insight Live, where we unpack and dissect insights that could change your life. And today, we're going to talk about somebody that Brendan's practically grown up with. And that person is Lewis Howes. And the reason we're going to talk about Lewis is since about the age of 17, Brendan's been following Lewis and really discovering the wisdom that he shares, as well as the wisdom that he helps shine a spotlight on through all the interviews that he's done. Uh, he's met him in person. He's been to Summit of, it's called Summit of Greatness, correct? Good. He's been you to the Summit of Greatness. And I am so curious. I'm deeply curious about your journey, understanding and learning from Lewis. So let's go back in time to when you were 17 years old. How did you first discover Lewis Howes? And what was that like once you found him? Were you instantly hooked? And walk me through what happened. Yeah, it's actually a really funny story, Billy. And by funny, it's not funny at all, but it might be interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So I I discovered Lewis by accident. Before Lewis's podcast, I never really listened to podcasts. And frankly, I didn't really know what that was. And just another personal story, whenever I would commute to school, I would take these 70, 75-minute bus rides. So it's 30 minutes from my house to the metro. It's kind of I, th- I believe it's called the subway in the United, United States. And then from there, you take a 30-minute subway to school. So it's like an hour-long thing. It's like a whole journey just to get to Montreal. I live in a suburb near Montreal. And the reason I bring that up is I, I would u- used to watch TED Talks all the time when I would be at school or when I'd be at home, other than playing video games, which is, I guess, what I did a lot back then. And one day I met this guy on, on a TED Talk, I was listening to him, called Adam Braun. So Adam Braun is the CEO of Pencils of Promise, which is a nonprofit that builds schools in third world countries. So I watched this guy for like 15, 20 minutes. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. But he impressed me so much that I started looking for other interviews of him. And I couldn't find it, I think. But after searching for a while... I found that Lewis interviewed Adam because Lewis is a big donor for Pencils of Promise. And I found Lewis on YouTube. I was like, oh, there's like an hour and a half conversation with this Adam Braun guy. I love Adam. I want to listen to this. And I didn't know who the Lewis guy was. So honestly, I never listened to that interview for many months. But then after three or so months, during one of my commutes from my house to school, 
I just turned it on. I was like, okay, I guess I'll listen to a 60-minute episode instead of listening to music like I always do. And that bus ride changed my life. I listened to the whole thing, and I was like, oh, wait a second. I could, like, listen to two hours of podcasts, and that's what I did. So I picked another episode in this Lewis Howe, whatever his face is called. And then I started listening to another episode. I was like, oh, this guy's pretty good. And then he would tell a lot of jokes. He would talk like me because Lewis is very informal with his language. So when I was 17, it related a lot to Mm, me. That's interesting. So it wasn't like a super superior. And that's what Lewis does extremely well. He relates to anyone. Like you just feel like you know the guy. Mm. So I was like, oh, this guy's pretty good. So I listened to two or three. And then it just became a routine. I started listening to 10 hours of podcasts a week. And I know we always talk about that. But I never actually explained the breakdown of those 10 hours. The reason I was so consistent, and I'm not anymore, but the reason I was so consistent over those years was because of those bus rides. 70 minutes to school, 70 minutes back. Mm-hmm. So those And Pot Lewis's show was perfect versus Joe Rogan. That was three hours because it was always 60 to 70 minutes. That's how I learned about Lewis. Then I learned about his story. Then I made the decision six months into the pod or a year into the pod, I forgot, to start all the way back to episode one. And that's when the learning began. If you had to guess what percentage of his entire catalog of episodes have you listened to? And I know you kind of alluded to it that you've fallen off the wagon, so to speak. You're not maybe as consistent as you once were, but I guess what what do you think the percentage was when you stopped listening regularly? And then what's the percentage now? And is there anybody else that you've listened to that volume of you know, just anyone close to that, maybe Seth, Seth Godin or someone. Absolutely, man. So Lewis's case, this is actually interesting for me myself to introspect on as we're having this conversation. So in 2019, that's when I started kind of slowly uh, listening less to Lewis, not because he's bad or anything. Lewis is an incredible guy. He, he just brings on a lot of his old guests. And since I'd listened to them like three years ago, I kind of was like, well, I already listened to that person. But for most of his audience, those people are new, right? So it makes sense. So at the time of 2019, this is when I met my business partner, Vamsi. The number was actually 100%. If you exclude the five-minute episodes. So he has like little tiny episodes called five-minute Fridays. I would skip all of those. But I'm sure like the long form, like hour, two-hour interviews. Yeah, I'd actually listen to almost all of them. Maybe I guess I'll say 97%. So I don't, so I don't generalize to 100. Now today, that number is probably 80%. Oh, and in terms of other people, right? The, no, actually, no. No one. So if you think about no one at that type of volume, there. I mean, Seth Godin is cheating, kind of, and the reason it's cheating is because it doesn't really include all of his knowledge, right? Because most of his knowledge is actually in his blogs, not his podcast, because he posts a blog every day, and I don't follow his blog at all, not because his blog is bad. Once again, it's just because I'm not a good reader. It's just not my thing. I'm not good at being consistent on that. But his podcast akimbo, oh yeah, I've listened to all of them, except for three. Hmm. Okay, so for those who don't know Lewis's story, walk us through his journey leading up to the podcast, what happened before the podcast. Obviously, for those who know him, he is a professional athlete, played football, not the NFL, but he did play football professionally. Uh, So walk us through a little bit of his story. I know at one point he lived on a couch, so tell us... The Lewis Howes story. Yeah. 
And let's start with the theme that I think makes Lewis super special. Besides all the things we're going to talk about today, it's vision. Every time this guy wanted something, he always found a way to pursue it and figure out how to make it happen, even in the times where he wasn't successful. So let's start with that theme all the way back to when he was 12, 13, 14 years old. And I'll start it there because a lot of trauma behind that, but let's keep today's episode fun. You can talk to me offline about what happened before that. But when he was 12, 13, 14 years old, around that time period, his dad was watching football, American football, for college. And Lewis came up to his dad and he said, hey, dad, who are these people on the TV? And his dad looked at him and said, oh, these are all professional athletes. And those people there, Lewis, those are what we call all-American athletes. And all-American athletes are the top eight of any sport. And these people are really special. And Lewis looked at that TV and he looked at his dad and he made a decision that day that he wanted to become an all-American athlete, which is interesting. And then as he got older and he went to college, university, one thing that he did that, that really stood out to me because it's something I didn't, I did as well personally is to achieve his goal of being an all-American athlete, he actually never got drunk. Not once. Even today, he's never gotten drunk. Not once. He's had a couple of drinks here and there, but he's always been focused. So whenever he go to parties, he talks about this a lot. And pretty girls would come up to him when he was like 20 or 21, and they would persuade him to start drinking a bit more so you know he could get the benefits that come with it. He was the only guy on the football team the only one who would say no. Oh, thank you. But no, I'm good. Never got drunk once. And what this tells us is a small story. We're just getting started for this big game that is Lewis. But already we're seeing something very interesting. He's not a sheep. Where most people are zigging, he's zagging. And that's an important theme to Lewis's story. Because as he gets older, that's actually what allows him to be a lot more successful in life for the projects he takes on. But let's go back to the, the main idea. So he doesn't drink. He works really hard. And he becomes an All-American athlete. I, I forgot which age, but it was during university. He got it. But he didn't get into a D1 school. And for those who don't know, to get drafted into the NFL, and this is most true with most professional sports athletes. It's funny, I'm the guy who's telling you this, even if I don't really watch sports, but I just know it because it's Lewis's story. The best way to get drafted into these professional sports teams is to get drafted into university is known as division one schools this is where most of the coaches are watching the players and they're picking the top people there to then draft in the professional sports but he didn't get into a d1 school so he went to like a d2 or a d3 and he had to build his way up so that's why he worked extra hard but then he didn't make the nfl so he started doing this thing called arena football which is this game of football but it's in a building with concrete walls, right? And he was getting paid like $100, $200 a week. But even after not making the NFL, he was still focused on his vision. He's like, I'm still going to make it happen. And he played all out and he broke like a, a yard record as well. And he did really well. But then one fateful day, as he was playing arena football, he accidentally swerves on like the side of a football to try and get the ball. And he lands his, his, um, his hand on one of the concrete walls. I don't even know why the hell they had concrete walls in arena football. It makes no sense. Boom. 
hits it, and his dreams are over. Doctor says he can't play football anymore. NFL's gone. He can't make it happen. So despite his ability, this is what I want to point out, despite his ability to have this incredible ability to create a vision and pursue it, despite making all the right actions, having the right physique, I mean, he's a pretty handsome guy, right? Pretty big guy. He didn't make the NFL, and his dreams fell apart. So at that point, he's like 22 or 23 years old. He's sitting on his sister's couch. He's broke. He has no money. He has no skills. And he just doesn't know what to do with his life. So let's take a pause here. The reason that pause is important is that brings us to another piece of Lewis's story that's really important as he ages. Is the reason why so many of us relate to Lewis is because he's the best example of someone who goes, if I can do it, you can too. Because he literally had nothing. Maybe you could argue he was a white guy, like skin color. But literally other than that, he literally had nothing. Like completely lost, didn't have really good grades in school. And he says this himself. He's like, yeah, I was pretty stupid. I wasn't that smart. I was just really good at sports. I did nothing else. And that's after that, after being like depressed on his sister's couch for six, seven months, he found out about LinkedIn really early, like in the early, early days. I know we're doing a LinkedIn live now. This is like back in the OG days. And he started building a business on LinkedIn. So he started building relationships with a bunch of people on the platform. He created his own in-person networking events. And then through those in-person networking events, that's when he started to build business. Then he started doing LinkedIn profiles, built books. Then he started his own webinar. I'm going to speed through a bit more of this quicker. Then after he built his webinar business, he made a lot of money. Then he was like 27 or 28. And then he met Gary Vaynerchuk in 2010. And Gary V told him that if all you're going to do is make money, there's no point in really continuing to build your brand. That's when they had the idea for the School of Greatness podcast. And there he went. But I think a good conclusion to this, I guess, shortened version of Lewis's story is this. What Lewis has been the best at out of every other influencer, I think, is a vision. The guy's so good at articulating a vision and pursuing it relentlessly. And that's what's led to his success. From the first episode of the School of Greatness podcast, where he literally recorded on his iPhone. His first guest is Robert Greene, of all people. Mm to just keep posting twice a week, to being on video. And that's the other piece, and then we'll close it, I'll throw it back to you, is the zigging versus the zagging. You know, back in his university days, when he wasn't drinking and stuff, he applied that same principle to everything else he did. Except this time, he became a lot more successful. Because when he went to podcasting, he was one of the first people that pioneered podcasting in person and recording the video and putting that on YouTube. Mm. So even if he wasn't serious on YouTube, because he zagged when everyone was zigging, a bunch of people, including myself, discovered him on YouTube. And that's how he built a cult following super early in the game. What do you think his vision was before he met Gary V? Because to your point, that was a pivotal point and he was making money. He had a successful webinar business. He had a successful networking. He was connecting people. He was doing well with LinkedIn, leveraging the power of connecting people and then holding these events where people can meet one another. So he was having success. He was making money, but it wasn't enough or it it, it clearly when he met Gary V, his eyes were opened and he realized that that was not what he was meant to do long-term. His purpose was not 
just to do what he had already been doing. So what do you think his vision was prior to meeting Gary Vee? If I'm being completely honest, making money and I don't blame him for it. And all of us start that way. I started that way too. When I was 16, 17, I was listening to Lewis's podcast. It was fun. But I wasn't looking to change the world, Billy. My mom was making minimum wage. I didn't want to see her. She's retired now, thankfully. Life is great for her. But like, I didn't want that for her. So I went to business school so I can get a six-figure job, make some money, and then see what I can do with the world after. Lewis did the same thing. Maybe not as directly as me. Maybe not as directly as me. But that was definitely the focus. Mm -hmm. It was how the hell do I get off my sister's couch? And there's nothing wrong with that. It's every part of our journey. Some of us are in survival mode, and I was there, right, just not too long ago. We're talking three, four years ago. And now I'm thriving. Now I'm doing something else. Lewis was the same thing. Except for him, the vision was much bigger than mine from a financial perspective. Me, it was more, ah, you know, I just want to make like 80 grand, 90 grand a year. And now I have bigger financial targets. Whereas Lewis from the get-go was, yeah, let's get into the seven-figure range. And let's just keep pushing that because that was the vision that he was focused on. But after he was doing two, three million, four million, five million, that's when the financial goal targets weren't as exciting anymore. And Gary actually was the person who planted the idea for School of Greatness. What do you know about that conversation with Gary? Because here we go again, another person influenced by Gary and clearly a huge success story in Lewis. What was that conversation like based upon what you know? Yeah, sure. So I can give you what I do know. Let's start with the context. So in 2010, Gary Vee wasn't famous for people are listening. You know, I know Gary Vee is this big star now. But back then, he was just some guy who was crazy in his keynotes. He would just be really aggressive, really nice guy, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, and, and VaynerMedia was just getting started too. Right? He started Vayner when he was uh, 34, 35 years old. He's like 44, 45 now. So he's just getting started. People thought he was crazy, except like Matt Higgins, who like bought into his company early and that guy made a lot of money off that, which is another story. But he Lewis meets Gary, and I, I'm, I'm going to butcher some of these details, but I'll definitely give you what I have, which is Lewis offered to drive Gary to like the airport or something to get like his time. And Gary said yes at the time because nobody really knew who he was. I think, I think Lewis just knew him from Wine Library or something. So he was driving the car and Lewis was just asking him, and he asked this a lot to his guests, even today, is what advice do you have for me, quite simply? Mm-hmm. I'm sure there was other things that went on in that car ride, but let's just keep it simple for the purposes of this conversation. And what Gary Vee said to him is he said something along the lines of, well, look, Lewis, I mean, you could keep aiming for more money, but it's not really going to... Like, what's that going to do? And you also need to start thinking about what is your personal brand outside of LinkedIn and webinars? So you're doing well in these businesses. You're making a lot of money. But who are you? How do you showcase who you are? And at that point, Lewis hadn't really thought about building a personal brand. But as he was, you know, talking to these great people and as he was having these conversations and as he was building the business, kind of just went, well, I should probably have something more exciting to aim for. And just to give people an idea of Lewis's numbers now, like he literally turns down $100,000, $200,000 one-on-one coaching offers where people literally say, hey, Lewis, I'll give you a quarter of a million dollars. Can you coach me one-on-one? He's like, eh, probably not. Like that's how he's gotten a point to his life where it's like, well, if he wants to make a lot of money, Billy, he could. 
but it was it was the the thriving piece now and now the question is no longer about survival which is honestly the easiest question because if you're just focused on surviving your whole life you don't have to worry about anything else you just have to be worried about your next meal which like most human beings were millions of years ago but now he had to tackle at in his late 20s a much harder question that most of us never tackle for the rest of our lives which is the question of meaning what mm. is my life what does it mean what is my purpose what and, and that's the question he started asking himself so gary planted that seed where he's like you need to start thinking about your personal brand he didn't necessarily say start a podcast though he said start thinking about your personal brand maybe you should do a podcast maybe you should do something cuz gary v wasn't big on podcasting back then by the way not really he was mostly like youtube social twitter he was really big on twitter back then that's why he built this following but he wasn't really aggressive on pods but what happened was when Lewis was a truck driver many years before, many years before he started um, his webinar business and he made it into the online space, he was a truck driver. How many people know this? And when he was a truck driver, he would go from commute to commute and all he would listen to is music. So there's a couple of links that led to the school of greatness. Number one, he was like, what, why can't I listen to anything else in my truck ride? As I'm going from point A to B, is there something I could listen to more? Two, he had an extensive network. Because he built such a significant online business, even if he wasn't famous himself, he knew a lot of the big people. He knew Gary Vee before he was famous. He knew Ryan Holiday. He had a great relationship with Robert Greene. And I'm just like nitpicking. Like there's like, I'm talking, there's like a huge list here. I don't even know myself. Matthew Hussey, he knew for a long time as well, I believe. But the idea is he had this extensive network. And number three, that's more important. The whole idea of zigging, not zagging. No one was doing podcasts back then. Nobody thought podcasts were going to do anything like in a big way. I think besides Lewis, it was mostly Jordan Harbinger with Art of Charm. It was Pat Flynn. And honestly, Joe Rogan was just doing this for fun. He didn't expect this to be like a big thing. He was just chilling. He's like, oh, I'm doing podcasts. I'm already a UFC commentator. I already made a lot of money, whatever. That's basically what it was, especially in the video space, mm. like podcasting for video. So he looked at that back then there wasn't people like doing interviews of like celebrities to like get insights from them. It was mostly like Larry King asking them like celebrities questions. And Larry was a great interviewer. But what Lewis saw that was missing in the space is nobody was really like sharing like everyday people. Like how do we reach these everyday people who don't have access to all of these incredible individuals that Lewis had access to? And that was the inkling for School of Greatness. And he put a lot of time and attention into it. That's why it is what it is today. So as we flash forward to today, we know we have Summit of Greatness. We know we have School of Greatness, his podcast. He does do some coaching. He's got a program that I know you've been a part of. It's called Inner Circle, if I'm correct. What else does he have? Because I know his goal is, a, is to impact, what is it, 100 million people a week? if I'm not mistaken. And so how does he feel he's going to get there the quickest? Because I know to your point, he said no to things and he's removed things from his plate so he could focus more directly on School of Greatness, for example. And you've actually had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with him where he broke down how he spends his time. So can you talk a little bit about his own prioritization of his focus and, and what he's working on currently? Dude, I'll do better than that. 
I'll explain year one and let's talk about yeah, the evolution. Yeah, let's do it. I, I, I know you'd be super fascinated by that. Yeah. And yes, I do know that. So, so no worries. So yeah, year one, what happened is School of Greatness was never meant to be a business of its own. It was mostly just something he was doing on the side for personal brand. He, he was, it was fun for him, to be honest. He just liked interviewing. He, he was so bad at it. Trust me, I've listened to the first hundred. I'm probably one of the few who's listened to the first hundred. Wasn't very good. Audio quality wasn't there. But what was there is excitement, energy, and above all, curiosity. So even if he would interrupt people like Robert Greene, he would be like, oh, whoops. <laughs> then he would interrupt. It's that curiosity, that fire to know the insights for other people and for himself selfishly as the dean of the School of Greatness that got him where it started. So he was just doing this for fun. It's like that fun side hobby. I think just the the key point there, though, is enthusiasm, passion. You don't need to be perfect. You don't need to have everything figured out in the beginning. If you have the passion, if you have the enthusiasm, if you clearly care deeply about what you're doing, that will shine through. And that will honestly make people okay with everything else not at the bar or standard that you one day will be at. So I think that's a really important insight that I don't want to skip past for anybody starting out on their journey, which we talk a lot about that. Remember that you could make up for some of your shortcomings with heart, with passion and enthusiasm. So I'm a huge believer in that. So yeah, carry on, man. This is, this is brilliant. Dude, as I am, right. I completely agree with that. Like when I started master talk, dude, like it was literally right there. My mom's basement. I would just make these videos. I was just really excited. I was so bad at it. And it didn't matter. And, and Lewis is an even better example where he literally took an iPhone. I think his guest zero was the host of The Biggest Loser or something like that. The Biggest Loser is a, is a weight loss show. For, I'm not saying people are losers. It's like, for those who don't know, it's like a show. And he, was, he like worked <laughs> love, out with the guy. It. I love it. Okay, good. For yeah, I had clarity. to. Yeah, we have to. So basically... <laughs> He was at a gym with the guy. They had worked out, like not even before the workout. They worked out first and they're exhausted. And Lewis starts the interview. <laughs> it's really funny, man. It's, but it, it's a great example that we all get started somewhere. So he started the pod in like 2013, 2014, something like that. And he just kept doing it as a side hustle. Because remember, Billy, most of his business is the webinar business. He would have like a $1,000 course, you know, the, the usual stuff, except his stuff worked, right? He wasn't a fake guru. <laughs> stuff works. A bunch of people trusted him and he did business a lot of the big influencers. But year two, year three, year four, what happened? His podcast started growing a lot faster than he thought it would. Because at the time, when, once again, no one was really doing it. Honestly, he was really good at it. He got good really fast at it. And we could talk about that later because that wasn't luck. I'll be honest. I don't think that was luck. Some of it was, but not all of it. And then as he was growing, he was like, oh, wait a second. I could like build a business on that. And he probably had, now I'm guessing, he probably had relationships with other of the podcasts like Pat Flynn, Jordan Harbinger, who were kind of coaching him a bit on this. Hey, you know, you could sell like a course, sell like a product, you figure this out. And he was doing that. He started selling, you know, School of Greatness Academy, Soga, as he calls it. It's like a thousand dollar course. Started making some money from that. And then after a few hundred episodes later, he launched the School of Greatness book, 
right? That hit the New York Times bestseller list. And then he realized that the income and the viewership started going up. So did the sponsors. A bunch of big sponsors started hitting his door, like ZipRecruiter, like 99designs, a lot of big companies on it, started sponsoring his shows and started writing in big checks. And he was like, oh, this is like cool. And then after maybe year five, year six of the business or the podcast, he had realized that his mission had shifted a lot because he was getting less and less excited about making money. I'll give you an example that he actually talks about a lot. He was talking about this, this day when he was doing business coaching and he was paying charging $10,000 an hour at the time. Charges way more now, but back then, $10,000 an hour, which is still crazy, right? But what he was saying is that he hated doing the coaching. Because let's say me and you, like Lewis was coaching you for 10 grand. And he would make you like 200 grand in like that meeting. So what would happen? You would then refer somebody else and go, this Lewis guy, you got to pay him 10 grand too. So at the beginning, it was exciting for him. But after like the 10th call at 10,000, he was like, like, this is really exhausting. And it wasn't inspiring for him anymore. He just wasn't having a good time anymore. And that's when he realized the podcast was the game. And after his interview with Tony Robbins, his first one, I think it was episode 137, 150, something like that. The first time he interviewed Tony. After he interviewed Tony, he went all in on video. He was like, I really want to take this podcast a lot more seriously. He invested in video people, like put in multiple hundred Ks into his production team. And then he started like really ramping it up, adding the clips, doing all this fun stuff. And then what happened in like year six or seven, he had a couple of products going on that was doing him a lot of money, namely his $50,000 mastermind. So like 30 people, I don't know the exact number, would pay him 50 grand for the year. And he would like mastermind with all of them. Huge revenue source. But what was the, the moment that changed everything? He went to go see this guy named Rory Vaden. So for those who don't know who Rory Vaden is, he's the founder of Brand Builders Group. He helps build some of the biggest personal brands in the world and manages a lot of the big stars the marketing from the marketing side of it. So Lewis does one-on-one with Rory from time to time. He's been on Lewis's show like a couple of times. He's really smart. I love Rory. He's a good guy. And uh, Lewis goes to, to Rory. He flies out to Tennessee just to have a one-on-one with Rory. And they start breaking down his business. Okay, Lewis, I know you've tried everything. You have like these nine different revenue streams. What is your mission? Like, what is your big thing? And Lewis sat there and he thought about it. And he was like, you know what? I really want to make this podcast bigger. I really want us to impact 100 million lives a week, right? To your point, that's his mission. That's correct. And then Rory asked him a, a question that completely shifted him. And the question was, how much money and time are you spending on the podcast? And he was like, uh, I'm not spending any money on ads. Roy said, wait, you want to have this big show? You spent ads to promote your programs. You spent ads to promote all these things. You haven't spent any ads to like promote your podcast? He was like, oh, no, I guess I haven't. And then the other piece is, let's look at your time. If you want to be this big all-star and podcast, you want to be one of the biggest names to help 100 million lives a week, how are you spending your time? And he's like, oh, well, I'm doing a lot of coaching, uh, these, you know, these group programs, this program, that program, the mastermind. And then Rory was a part of Lewis's mastermind. And then Rory looked at him and he said, you have to make decisions with your time to then coincide with the business you want to build. 
So he gets rid of the mastermind. Literally takes $2 million, puts it on the table and goes, yeah, I don't want this money anymore. Focused all in on Inner Circle, the $100 a month program, which is like, because it's scalable, it doesn't use that much of his time. And he went all in on the podcast. And today what the business looks like in terms of time is he spends 20 hours a week now, half of his working days. He works a lot more than 40 hours a week, but generally speaking, on the podcast, just interviewing people, building relationships with them, talking to them. And then the other time, the rest of his time, is spent building his team, primarily his media teams, and coaching them on how to be more successful within the business and recruiting other talented people to join his mission. So it's interesting to see that shift from, and let's recap, year one, where 90% of his business is online courses. It's the usual, right? Mm -hmm. All that stuff, masterminds, to now it's significantly lower. And a lot more money now is coming through the podcast. A lot more money is coming through the sponsorships as well. So the 20-hour a week on the podcast, I know you you said it quickly and you kind of broke down a little bit of what he does, but can you break down for those who want to know like, okay, where is that 20 hours going? Sure. So it's between 16 and 20. That's what he told me. So it's four hours per interview. So on the weeks he's doing four interviews, it's 16 hours. On the weeks he's doing five interviews, 20 hours, simple math. So what happens during these four hours for each guest? Two hours is spent interviewing the person. One hour is spent researching the person. And I want to clarify here, researching doesn't mean Lewis is only spending an hour researching this guest. Researching this guest means his team is spending like a lot of time in the past, his old assistant, I don't know if he still does this today, but his old assistant would actually read every single person's book that would come on the show. And then she would point out all of the highlights and Lewis would review that for an hour in detail, and he would take a bunch of notes. That's why you see Lewis now with a bunch of papers. That's where that comes from. It's his team's research notes, I'm guessing here, but the other piece is definitely the notes that he's taking. And he takes notes during the episode too, which is interesting. And the other hour is spent on, that. this surprised me, called connection. So connection means 30 minutes before the show, it means 30 minutes after and an hour during lunch, where Lewis just gets to know the person. Mm -hmm. How are you? What are you doing? There's a strategic reason why he does this. A, because he's damn good at it. He's probably one of the best I've seen in relationship building. But B, because it allows him to build personal relationships so that he can get guests that are just impossible to get on because you can only get some of those people through introductions. And he's done this really well, notably with Kobe Bryant. He's done this well with one of the best tennis players in the world, Novak Djankovic, I believe. That's how you pronounce his name. And the guy who's always wins uh, Formula um, the Formula One races. So he's, he's been really smart with how he builds relationships. Very intentional. Intentionality is another big word that comes to mind when I think about Lewis's success. Mm-hmm. Is He's very focused on building those relationships. And it, that doesn't just help him on the podcast. It also helps him in building relationships so that in six years, one of the people that he like had that relationship with then suddenly introduces him to like Will Smith or something. And actually, I can give you an easy bonus here. Easy bonus. So uh, episode one, okay, this was like episode 60 or something. He had a dream list of three people he's always wanted on the show. Mm-hmm. Number one is Tony Robbins. Number two is Will Smith. Number three is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of other people like Barack Obama and stuff. These are the main three. And he's only gotten one of those people on the show. 
which is Tony Robbins, right? And he's a part of his mastermind too. But he could never get Will Smith and Dwayne Johnson. And what's interesting is even if Dwayne is literally managed by the same agent as Lewis, like the same person, he's literally one connection away. So they're like, this is my agent. I've been with him for years. He still gets the no. Mm. He still gets a no, which is crazy. But the other point, the reason I tell you this, is I think he's going to interview Will Smith very soon after like seven years of waiting. Why? Because he's like best friends with Jay Shetty and Jay Shetty just interviewed Will Smith with two year, uh, for two hours and Will's coming out with his autobiography in November. And another thing I'll mention is the guy who helped write Will Smith's book, Mark Manson, the guy of subtle art of not giving an F, right? the author, Lewis is really good friends with Mark Manson because he interviewed him three years ago. So why am I giving you all this extra special Brendan bonus details and sauce? Telling you this because Lewis plays in decades, not days. I know we talked about that yesterday, but this is in the context of relationship building. He's super intentional because he doesn't need the money from anyone. He's worth the $10 million or something, whatever. So he's really focused on what can I do for you? And now all of that goodwill is paying off now. So how... Would you assess how he's doing today relative to what his goal is of reaching 100 million people a week? What's he doing right? And how is he missing the mark? And then in a minute, we'll get into Brendan advice. And I'm going to just give you that and plant that seed. So we'll get into that in a minute. So first, let's start with an assessment. What's he doing well? Where are some gaps or opportunities? And then, and then we could talk about some solutions. Lewis has been very smart with how he's approached his brand from day one. Even if he gives the impression that he didn't know what he was doing, that you know he made a lot of mistakes, and he did. Hold on, wait, we wait, all wait, make let's mistakes. Stop there. Tell us. Let's not leave that. So you've highlighted this before with me, and that you know I kind of play down a little bit, whatever my background and all that. There's the humble, you know, being a bit humble and all that. But you've actually said, you know, Lewis acts in a certain way, unpack that a little bit. Cause I think that's an important nuance that I don't want to leave under discussed. Right. I mean, we could have a whole hour conversation about that nuance, Billy, but I'll give you the, the, the cliffhanger, the cliff notes rather. And the cliff notes is that Lewis has done a great job of communicating in a way that is most accessible to the wide range of people. So he doesn't gloat about any of his accomplishments because nobody likes a gloat, even if he can name drop pretty much every celebrity. And the other piece is he downplays his success to make him feel more like a human being whenever he's speaking to other people. So as a listener, when you listen to this, and it worked really well on me, not going to lie. When I was 17 years old, I didn't really think I could be super successful in life. I mostly just wanted to have a corporate job. But because this regular, for lack of a better word, like, you know, doofus, you know, would have a super smart guy, I must say. Lewis is a genius, but doofus like personality. You almost sit there and you go, Well, this is fun. Personal development's fun. I might as well just keep listening to this. Brendan Bouchard is someone who does this really well too. Where you kind of just downplay shit. And it's not good for everybody, but I'd say for his type of personality, it's worked out really well for him. Has made him a lot more accessible. And the special thing about Lewis that you're making me think, think about now is whenever you think about Lewis, there's like that warm, 
sense of belonging. There's like that warm, fuzzy feeling mm. in, your, in your belly that you think about that you just don't get with a lot of the influencers. Mm. So when you think about like a Jake Paul or like a Logan Paul, <laughs> you're like, oh my God, he's like going to hit me with the cars. Like, it's a, and there's nothing wrong with those guys. I think they've, they've, they've hacked culture in such an intelligent way that we could talk about another time. But it's not that same feeling where it's like every time I listen to Lewis's show, it really feels like I'm home. Mm-hmm. And he executed that so well at Summit of Greatness because I've been to a lot of live events. I've pretty much ran the gauntlet at this point. No, there's no event better than the one in freaking Columbus, Ohio. I have done events in LA. I've done events in San Diego. I might even do events in Europe. Nothing beats his – I don't know what he does in Columbus, Ohio, but it works. It's good. But the key is the feeling, mm-hmm. that fuzziness. He's so good at it. And it's all cultivated and intentional. That's the part that people don't get. It's thought of in advance. And we know this because when he interviews guests, he looks at them directly in the eye. He moves the table in a way that we're talking to each other directly. Mm. He's a lot more thoughtful than people think. In the same way we talked about Gary Vee yesterday, he's a lot more underrated than people think. And I think Lewis is in that same category too. There's a lot more game to Lewis that people don't know about that I think has made him successful. Got it. Okay, that's that's very powerful and, and perfect insight. So I'm glad we explored that. So I kind of took you off track a little bit. Let's go back, rewind. And, and you were going to talk about sort of a, a, an assessment. I don't know if, if, if part of what you just said obviously would, would be that assessment. Anything else to add? And then where are the gaps? Like what else is he doing really, really well? And where are some of the, in corporate speak, we would say areas of opportunity? Where are those at? Right. So, so let me start by saying the big positive. Regardless of the points of gap, the gaps is really to reduce the time. This guy's hitting $100 million a week. I know it. And the reason I'm so confident he's going to do it is because he's really young. The guy's not 60 years old, people. He's 38. Don't forget that. Okay, he's just getting started. It's kind of like a sports athlete who's 20 years old who's entering the league. This is literally where Lewis is at with this podcast. This is just the beginning of audio. Sure, I, I've been hating social audio a lot on this podcast and this live. I will be guilty of that, and I still am skeptical of social audio. But audio, no, 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 no. Brennan has a different opinion on audio. Audio is just getting started. This is like the second inning of this nine-inning game. Every single 10-year-old, 15-year-old is going to grow up listening to podcasts if they're not already listening to podcasts. That I am sure of. And, bec- and Lewis is going to take the whole long tail of that. He's going to win the whole freaking thing. I'm trying my best not to swear on this because it's LinkedIn. But anyways, <laughs> so that's the piece. So regardless of what I say, this guy's going to hit 100 million weeks. So here's why. That piece, the trend. Second, he's a world-class interviewer. There's no doubt about it. We've already broken down some of those traits, so we can rest that to bed. But the third piece is he understands how to scale. And what that means is the way you scale, and this is the thing Lewis does better than other people who interview the same celebrities, is he gets emotional, interesting, unique insights from the same celebrity. So when he interviewed Matthew McConaughey, I'm not a big fan of acting or Hollywood and that stuff, but boy, did I love that interview. (laughs) The only thing I'm sad about is I wish it was in person. It just it sucked because of COVID, but I'm sure he's going to interview him again. But the reason I bring this up is because if you want to get to 100 million a week, you need celebrities. There's no way around it, Billy. You need celebrities who have big reach mm. and 
you need to interview them in a way that is also unique. Mm-hmm. Here's the best example I can give you, which is Kobe Bryant. Okay, rest in peace, Kobe. Kobe was amazing, right? He's accomplished so much in his life. He's such a legacy he's left us. But super interesting about Kobe is there's only one podcast, not seven, not 70, Billy, one podcast where Kobe has talked about intimacy, love, and affection. Can you guess what podcast that was? Take a wild guess for me, why don't you? (laughs) Which one could it be? Joe Rogan? Probably not, eh? Lewis's podcast, obviously. Kobe liked his interview with Lewis so much because Kobe's media team was badgering Lewis to stop the interview up to 30 minutes. He talks about this in an episode I sent you when we first met last year. And Kobe literally said, hey, back off. Let's, let's, let's have Lewis keep talking to me for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. I think this guy is a really good interviewer. And Lewis just met Kobe literally five minutes before. And the reason I say that is because after he passed away, that interview went crazy viral. Mm-hmm. ESPN picked it, everyone. And obviously, I'm not saying we got to leverage like other people's stuff. But the point is, is the quality of the interview is so good that that interview is going to last for the rest of time. But if he does that, and he's done this intelligently well over the last eight, nine years, is because he's built up all this equity. Now what's happening is he's able to interview all the A-listers get all the cool insights because now all those people know who Lewis is. All those people know what his show is. All his people understand the expectation when you come on the show. Similar to the hot ones with Sean Evans where you know if you come on the show, you got to eat spicy wings. <laughs> so Lewis has set that expectation subconsciously, not saying you got to be vulnerable, but subconsciously where, hey, if you enter the school of greatness, this is not like some PR stunt. This is not a prank attack. This is not a gotcha show. This is, we really want to hear from you. We really want you to pour your heart into this. Priyanka Chopra was on Lewis. Isn't it crazy how Lewis, this kid who gets hit, I just want to put this to the forest so people understand. This guy breaks his arm at 22 on a concrete wall to be an NFL player. And now he's fucking, oh shit, sorry. Now he's freaking interviewing Priyanka Chopra. (laughs) (laughs) It's like insane. Honestly, blessings to him. He's done a great job and there's a lot to be proud of. And he's done a lot. And that's the key to Lewis is he's been really smart about picking the right celebrities and access to more A-listers and using their audiences without even asking, like without even saying, I need you to share it. They just do it on their own. That helps him scale to that hundred million dollar, uh, sorry, million viewership week. Mm-hmm. But the other piece that's important as well, and this is the other thing that's important about Lewis, is he is over investing in a good way. In some ways, as a thirty-five year old, as someone who's in his thirties, he's going to relate to a lot of the up and coming twenty year olds mm-hmm. who really want to be on a show. So the people who actually win. And become A-listers. They want to go straight to Lewis's show. And, and Gary Vee has done that better than Lewis, I would argue. Where now all of the, all of the big A-listers who become A-list, the second they're A's, they go straight to Gary. Because they always want to be on Gary's show. So that's, uh, that's an interesting point. Well, so yeah, Lewis has done well. The, the, the other thing, and you've talked about this, is he does not waste an opportunity to build rapport. So going back to the Kobe example, one of the things that you've highlighted in 
previous conversations is that those moments before the interview started set the tone for the entire rest of the interview. Can you talk a little bit about that? Cause there's, he's a master rapport builder. And when we could find common ground with other people, it opens up and unlocks the beginning of a relationship. So talk about what happened immediately preceding the interview. Absolutely. So I'll tell you the story. So what happened, Lewis has been wanting to interview Kobe for many years. And one day, Kobe's media team calls him out of point blank. Okay, he's been building a relationship with them for like five years. Point blank. Goes, hey, look, Kobe's looking to interview the Punies, talk about his podcast, the Punies. If you come tomorrow in the morning before Lil Wayne, we can interview him. You can interview Lil Wayne was bringing like his big like media production team. He had like five camera guys. It was like crazy. Lewis was like, done, book it, or else we'll never get him on the show. He wakes up at like crazy time, like stand at three, four or five a.m. Drives to his office, gets there, you know, meets Kobe, meets everybody, and he's been waiting for this day for a long time. And the first thing that comes out of Lewis's mouth when he meets Kobe is this: "Hey, Kobe, I just want to acknowledge you." Because I'm on the USA handball team, and I've always appreciated about you from some of my Olympian friends that you know is that you don't just watch basketball. You go there and you support all the other sports, and you stay there. You take photographs. I, I just want to say I really appreciate what you do for other people, and thanks so much for taking this interview. Something along those lines. I didn't, I didn't say word for it. And Kobe like, looked at it, he's like, dude, you play handball? I used to play handball when I was in Italy. That's awesome, man. I didn't know you are on the USA handball team. And he's like, do you know that guy and this guy? And it was like, and he's like, who else have you interviewed for sports? And then uh, Lewis said, oh, yeah, I interviewed uh, Novak. He's my buddy. Novak is one of the top tennis players. He just won the Wimbledon this year for like the 20th time. And then Kobe was like, oh, yeah, Novak's my bro. And then they, they caught up in like, like three minutes. They just caught. And then the media team had been barraging Lewis since he got the interview. Hey, like, you can't ask Kobe this. 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 And then Kobe, and then Lewis just looked at him and said, Hey, Kobe, just want to check in with you. Is there anything off limits? Uh, like the media team was saying. And then Kobe just stopped him and mm. just said, no, no, don't worry about that. Just ask me anything. That's masterful. Okay. He literally built a relationship with Kobe Bryant to make Kobe say, just ask me anything in three minutes. He was like, oh, you interviewed Novak? Oh, you interviewed all my friends? So everything he did... And I want people to understand this. It's not that Lewis got lucky. Some of it might be true. It's not that Lewis was smart that day. It's because Lewis has been doing the work for eight years to get to that point. He interviewed Novak in 2015 so that he can use that. Rela- you didn't say it that way, but I'm, I'm explaining it in that way. Where now, four years later, it helps him in that process. That's what people don't get about Lewis. And that's what made Lewis really successful. It set the tone. It set the tone and it allowed him to get the interview that you described that stands out that is not the same cookie cutter interview that everyone else has done with Kobe, right? And one, it's hard enough. It was hard enough to get Kobe. He got him and then he didn't waste that opportunity. He figured out a way to build rapport and that was no accident. What he said was no accident. That was going back to the word. It was intentional. So let's now play an imaginary world. Lewis, calls you, says, Brendan, I want you to assess my business. I want you to tell me where the gaps are. And here's the lens I want you to look through. 
I am myopically focused on hitting 100 million people a week, impacting that many lives on a weekly basis. Where are the gaps in my game? Part one. Part two, what ideas or solutions do you have to, to reach the numbers that I want as quickly as possible? Absolutely. So I would say number one, if he really wants to shorten that time to get to 100 million people a week, he needs to start thinking about how to scale his inner circle offering his $100 a month program so that it's making him a million dollars a month. And if he can get to that level, he can pour in most of that capital into ads. So how do you do that? Here's one thing Lewis has done really well, which also brings us to the improvement point. Summit of Greatness is by far one of the best live events in the circuit. And what I, by in the circuit, I mean in the personal development world. If you compare it to Tony Robbins events, all these different events, it's pretty on par with what Tommy has done, and I'm going to experience it myself in November, so we'll see. But Lewis is definitely at the top there. And what he's done exceptionally well is the community of people who attend Summit of Greatness are just incredible. I felt like I knew everyone. It was so bizarre. I went there alone. I met my business partner there. I met a bunch of buddies. I can't wait to see everyone at Summit next year, even if I haven't been to the event in two freaking years. Two freaking years because of COVID. I still can't wait to 2022. And I will literally block off those three days to be there. Even if I'm making $5 million a year. Even if I'm making X dollars, I don't care. I want to be there. And that's interesting. That's unique. Not many people have that. But here's the caveat. He's done it so well in life, he's not doing it during the year. Does that mean creating more live events? No, 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 no. That's a lot of work. What it means is how do we bring that same community feel in Inner Circle, mm. in the online program? Because if everyone meets mm. each other, that's worth a thousand bucks a month, even if you charge, but you're charging a hundred. So if I still have the same Inner Circle experience, but I get to meet everyone else in Inner Circle, boy, is that, dude, 99 bucks a month is nothing for this. Already the program's cheap for what he's offering. I mean, I got a one-on-one with Lewis for like 20 minutes for 100 bucks a month. That's like nothing. I got really lucky, right? But, but the idea here is if you can do that and build that community, what happens, and you can do it strategically where you have like these Senka sets, oh, sorry, the happy hours, they call them in America, right? Where you kind of just meet each other and you build those rapport. What happens when you build community like that is they start to talk about inner circle for you when you don't have to. So they start to say, Hey, Billy, dude, you got to join inner circle. There's like these seven people here that you could meet next week. that are going to blow your mind. And that's how you'll scale from a thousand ish members to 10,000. And then when you get to that level, you're making a million bucks a month just from that program. We're not even including sponsorship dollars, speaking fees and all that stuff. And then he can reapply that into ads. That's the first piece that I think is really important here. So just to reframe, I think a critical piece of this is you're suggesting find ways to increase revenue and then apply that revenue into ad spend that will expand the reach of his podcast. And so just looking kind of at the big picture, one thing that comes to mind as I think about this and obviously I'm a podcast guy, so I'm loyal to, to that. But at the same time, should he be looking at other forms of media to in, it's expand his reach? I'm just trying to think of like, okay, what else could he be doing? You know, you start focusing on too many things. It could compromise the work he's done with the podcast. So maybe that's ill-advised. I think your point is, is solid that 
if he can get people who are even more likely to be advocates for his show, spreading the word because they are such super fans, such strong believers in him and what he's doing. And therefore, because of that, they are singing from the mountaintops how amazing he is. And then that helps more people join the program, which increases revenue, which then he puts towards ads. Is there anything else that you think he should be doing? And again, something on the table could be, you know, if he wants to reach a hundred million people a week, which that's a lot of people. Like let's, let's be real about this. That is especially in today's day and age, right? Because there are so many different sources of media. You know, if this was 30 years ago, even though there was smaller population, there were significantly fewer channels that we could tune into. So this is going to get harder over time in my mind, as opposed to easier, unless there's something that we're not thinking of. And I'm just trying to solve this riddle for him. I guess, when can he hit it? Do you think if he does what you've suggested and what else could he be doing? Absolutely. So, so before I get into that, there's one other piece that I, t- I forgot to talk about the positive that I think is important for people to know, which was my one-on-one with Lewis. And I would say the biggest lesson I got from that interaction, it was like a 20-minute session, is I really felt, and I know this is hard to believe, but I really felt like he was treating me like I was Kobe Bryant, like I was some celebrity. He really spent that time. He asked me what I was doing. He checked out my YouTube channel. He gave me like so much great advice. advice. I watched that recording. He, like, he crushed it with the advice. So you, you, this is your chance to repay the favor, man. This is your chance to repay the favor if he ever watches this. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, like really good advice. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to. I mean, I'm going to see him like next year. Pretty sure. But yeah, like he crushed it. But there's a better question that people need to ask that, that people aren't asking. Why bother? Like, what do I have to do for him? I don't know Dwayne Johnson. I don't know Will Smith. Why is he doing this for me? And even crazier, at least I'm serious. At least I'm doing something. Some other people on the call, we're doing anything. <laughs> no, no offense to those people, but like, seriously, it drives the point. But Lewis was still spending that time listening to them. And then the other person would go, Lewis, I don't want to create videos. I'm not motivated. <laughs> it's like super beginner stuff. <laughs> like to the point that I, even I would lose my patience. And he would just sit there. What, where do you think that comes from? Like, what? I don't get it. Like, he's, they're giving you $100 a month, Lewis. Like, this makes no sense. Anyways, the reason I bring that up is that's why Lewis just, he's a winner. He just wins, man. Like every interaction that he has, he just makes the other person feel better. And that's very unique to him. Very unique. To, at that level of status, very unique to him. Not many people do that. But anyways, I know you asked cons. I mean, not cons, but opportunities for improvement, right? So Yeah, op- not only the opportunities, but w- what other, you know, where are the gaps? Yes, but solutions. Like, let's get, let's try to like think about, okay, you gave one really good one, which is increase revenue, apply that to ads. And I guess where I'm coming from is, is there another avenue that he could employ in addition to the podcast or something within the podcast. Cause it's like, take Joe Rogan, for example. I don't know what his monthly reach is or what his weekly reach is, but I don't think he's re- I mean, I don't think he's at that yet. I don't think he's at a hundred million a week. Maybe he is, but I mean, YouTube's a, a channel that we don't even know what that could end up being. That alone could, could help him get there. So I guess I'm just trying to figure out like what, what will help him get there the quickest. And then if you had to guess, cause you're pretty confident he'll hit that, hit that mark. 
when do you think that will happen? Because I, I don't know what he's doing right now. I don't know if you know what he's doing right now. And how do, how do we quantify this? I know there's a lot that I'm asking, so take any, any route you want. I mean, that's what makes these conversations fun, right? It's the hard question. If these were easy questions, these conversations would be boring anyways. So here, so we talked about the first one, the, the ads, the inner circle. That's, a, that's an easy piece. Lewis can fix it. Number two is he needs to invest in younger guests. He needs to realize that a lot of the new audience that are listening to podcasts who are like 15 or 17 or 19, like the people I once was, they're not necessarily relating to Lewis directly because he's not as aggressive on TikTok. He's not as controversial, which does really well on TikTok versus Gary. Gary V's killing it with the 15-year-olds. He's doing really well. Lewis, not so much. He still has some success, but it's not as big. But here's the one thing Gary does better than Lewis is Gary is super invested in the 15-year-olds, the 17-year-olds, the 19-year-olds, not just in terms of content creation, but more importantly, one-on-one time. It's like meeting Justin Bieber when he's 14. Right before he makes it, Scooter Braun, his talent manager, met Justin. This is a good example for people where he bet all of his money on Justin and Justin became a big star and Justin trusts Scooter Braun for life because he knew him before he was famous. So he knows that Scooter had the right intentions. Same thing with Gary Vee. He met Charlie D'Amelio first. He met all Russ. Russ is a huge rapper in the space right now. He met all, he's early. Patrick McDavid from Valuetainment does this really well too. He interviewed a lot of the, the up-and-coming 20-year-old influencers. One in particular I can quote right now, Ben Francis. Those who know who Ben Francis is, he's so of Gymshark. Gymshark's a huge fitness brand. We're talking Under Armour. We're talking Nike, that type of stuff. Gymshark, huge in the UK. Guy's a billionaire. He's 29 years old. Okay, He's super young, super young. Patrick bet on the guy super early. He's like, yeah, I want to interview this guy. He knows what he's talking about. And Patrick is also interviewing 21-year-olds, 23-year-olds, 25-year-olds. You don't see a lot of that from Lewis. You don't see a lot of that from Lewis. Interesting. And he needs to start thinking in that way. I'm not saying you interview every 20-ish-year-old, but what I am saying is you need to make sure you have someone on your team who's sourcing the next talent. I'll give you an easy example to, for people who are having trouble following me because I know this is pretty advanced. Let's say you take a professional sports league. I don't care if you like fighting, like UFC, it could be football, basketball, pick your sport. What makes the best sports franchises successful? Once again, funny that I I was just going to say, you're really good at the sports analogies for somebody that hasn't really played sports. I don't know. I guess I listened to too much Lewis. That's probably what happened. (laughs) I I guess I've listened to too much. Look, I'm very into the sports mindset thing, but not the actual. It's easy to do. It's easy. It's an easy go to for an analogy sort of type of tie in. It's very tangible. I find, I find it's pr- even for women, I feel it's super practical for people. Like even women get it. It's great. But yeah, what's, what's great about the sports game, what's interesting people need to understand with franchises is it's not about who's in your batch today, who's on your roster today. It's how much money are you investing on the next talent? Mm. Like my, LeBron James, when he's 15, people are looking at him. They're, they're scouting him right away because they want to build a relationship with the guy. They want to make sure that LeBron wants to be with them. Nike's doing the same thing because he doesn't want he doesn't want LeBron to sign with Adidas, right? Same stuff. Not many people are doing this in the podcasting game. We do this a lot in sports. 
oh, I, I need to make sure Billy gets drafted into the right team, etc. We even do this in companies. Oh, Billy's an up and riser at Tesla. We got to make sure we pull this guy for another company. We're doing this in companies. We're doing this in sports. We're not doing this enough in media, especially in the interview podcasting space. If I was Lewis and I was advising him, I would say hire a talent agent who's really good or outsource from the guy you're being represented by to make a list of all the 20-year-olds who are really up and coming, who you know are going to make it. And the reason is selfish to Lewis too. Because even if that 25-year-old, that 26-year-old, that 28-year-old has a smaller following, and by smaller, I don't mean 10,000. I'm talking 100,000. I'm talking 500,000. That's what I mean by Mm -hmm. smaller. Nobody in that network, nobody in that audience knows who Lewis House is. I can pretty much guarantee it. Very small percentage. So it's important for Lewis to be proactive about those because one – it helps him leverage to new audiences that he just can't reach at, unless through that influencer who introduces people to Lewis. Same thing with me. I didn't look up Lewis. I didn't find Lewis. I didn't say, you know what? I'm a sports guy. Let me go listen to a personal development podcast on sports. No, Adam Braun introduced me to Lewis. I was a fan of Adam's. Watch his TED Talk. Watch he didn't introduce Lewis. Watch the interview, and then I became a fan of Lewis. There's three levels to this game, not one. It's you find out about the fan, you become a fan of the fan, and then that fan introduces you to Lewis. That's how the podcasting game works. It's three levels. Lewis needs to be conscious about that. People won't just go directly to him if he's the host. He needs to be mindful of who is the channel. And that doesn't mean you bring in all the celebrities, because some of them are just not a fit for a show. But it does mean being serious about the process. Because I'm sure if Lewis sat down with me and we made a list of all those celebrities, he's going to look at me after 45 minutes and go, we have 98 of these people, but those two people, we didn't intervene. You helped us catch that, Brendan. Good job. That's what I'm looking for. I love it. Okay, so let's let's play a little game. We'll call this the Insight Lightning Round. And I want you to give me a short one sentence or one word answer to each of these questions. And I'm going to just do rapid fire. And so we're going to go as long as uh, I could keep coming up with questions. So the first question is when, and you could say month or year or both, when will Lewis hit a hundred million a week? When will that be? Probably say 10, 15 years. Okay. Probably. Give me a number. 2031. 20, okay. So 10 years from now. Okay. What is the biggest threat? that he has that gets in his that could get in his way not investing in emerging talent if you don't bet on the big dogs that are coming up you're going to lose them to other players okay what is the biggest weakness in his game currently hmm not taking inner circles not investing in millions of dollars in ads which means he's not investing enough in inner circles probably this biggest weakness got it okay what is the biggest strength biggest strength is relationship building by far he's definitely the best in the game i think he's one of, i think he is the best in the world <laughs> Okay, what will be the biggest catalyst to him reaching his goal? It could be a platform, it could be a person, it could be anything. I don't know who, but it's definitely the five people in their 20s who are going to be the biggest things in sliced bread, but Lewis meets all of those five people before anyone else does. Got it. If you could wish for any guest for him to interview that he hasn't yet interviewed, who would it be? Peter Thiel. Why? Because... His The personal development community in general, Billy, just needs to learn from the startup community. 
Like everyone's always talking about passions and how to make a difference. Peter breaks it down so well in Zero to One, his book. It's so good. Mm. Peter's never done an interview with the Lewis House, with the Tony Robbins, with the Brendan Bouchard. I would love for Lewis to interview him, but I don't think Peter will say yes, but hey, one can wish. Okay, love that answer. Who is Lewis's biggest competition in your in your mind? And who do you think Lewis believes his biggest competition is? If I'm being honest, I don't think he has competition in what he's doing. But in terms of who he thinks his competition is, probably, uh, I don't think it's competition. I think it's more... Who is going to join him in the 100 million uh, week rank? It's probably going to be Jay Shetty. Got it. Okay. Aside from Jay Shetty, Shetty, who else do you think could be in that club that we know of today? I mean, Joe Rogan's definitely going to hit those numbers, but for different reasons. It's not the same. Like That's why I don't think Lewis has competition, because the people who are actually going to hit those numbers, Gary Vee, Jay Shetty, Joe Rogan, in the interview space anyways, and himself. Well, he's not really competing with Gary Vee and Jay Shetty. So I guess he believes that's his competition. And Joe is just doing something completely. He's like a unicorn. He's something else. <laughs> you, one of the things you highlight about Lewis is his ability to build relationships. Who have you observed do as good a job or close to as good a job in building relationships that would be good for us to, to talk about or in, invest some time in exploring in the future? Definitely Gary Vee, to be honest. I'm sure there's others that I, that I probably am not thinking of right now. Gary Vaynerchuk has been exceptionally good at relationship building. We know this because he's had one-on-one meetings with a lot of the younger talent, and it's paid off handsomely for him. Got it. What Final question. What question haven't I asked about Lewis should I have asked? Now you're just playing with me. I like it. Hmm... Hmm. What? Do, <laughs> maybe. What? What? What do you think Lewis regrets the most in his journey? I don't know if I have an answer to that one, but I would. I think. I think the biggest regret is, despite his insane level of focus, execution, and talent, he wasn't able to get the relationship straight. And I think if he figures that piece out. Or if he had figured this out, like Tom Billy did, he's been happily married to his amazing wife for 20 years. I think if he had figured that out when he was 22 and had done something similar that Tom did, for those who know Tom is the host of Impact Theory, I think he'd probably be 10 times more successful than he is today. Please make sure that you're following us for future lives like this. Until next time, make it a great one. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.